as we continue to preach through this book of Romans, Paul is going to present us with the greatest of all the news in the world, the greatest news of the gospel. But before he gets there, he's going to show us how in need of the gospel we are. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul studies the way in which people excuse their sin. And we find that those of Paul's day and what they did in Romans 1 and 2, those who would just flat out ignore God, say, we know who you are, but we're not going to follow what you say. And the consequence of that, of how God gave them up to the sin that they so eagerly clinged to. And we see that this still happens today. Uh, we see the religious people who, who claim, well, you know, that's good, Paul. You should come down on them. You should talk to those who, who, who know who God is and, and refuse. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. He said, you do the same thing. He said, you are hypocritical in your uh, religion. You, you point out the faults and the sins of others while you continue to do the same things that they are doing. Uh, so in verses 1 and 3, Paul told his readers that knowledge of the law is no excuse since it is vain to use God's law to condemn others while you turn around and do the same thing. Jesus confronted the Pharisees of his day with the very same thing. They would say, well, you know what? This woman brought an adultery. I always found this fascinating that they bring this woman caught in adultery. Where was the man? He was just as guilty. He was to be stoned just as this woman was, but they didn't bring him. They only brought her. And it's interesting because Jesus, he began to write in the dirt. And as he wrote, one by one, they left. Now, J. Vernon McGee likes to speculate that Jesus might have wrote someone's name that was standing there. And then maybe they wrote lying after it. And that guy just quietly backed out and left till one by one. And Jesus looked at him and said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Oh, well, by the way, that's not all he said. Go and sin no more. And so Paul here, in his day, they were still the same. They were those who, who knew the law, and they said, we obey the law. And, and those, those dirty, filthy Gentiles out there who, who don't know the law. But we're trying to teach them how to do right. And we'll get to that here in a minute. So in verses 4 through 11, he shows that God owes grace to no one. He owes it to no one. None of us can ever get to a place to where we say, Oh God, look at me. Look how I live for you. Look how I love you. Lord, you need to bless me. And Paul says, No, there is none like this. And in verses 11 through 16, we saw that God judges men according to the light that they have received. That every single one of us, that the day will come when we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we will not be judged for our sin. That's done. That's gone. Okay, you understand it? That is a settled issue for the believer. But I will be judged 
by the way I have served God. I will be judged by those secrets that are hidden deep in my heart. Remember those secrets we talked about? The ones that you don't want me to know about and I don't want you to know about, but God knows all about. So Paul talks about how the day will come when we do this. All right. So this morning as we begin uh, verse 17, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you, are, you're, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You, abhor, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So here Paul talks about the Jew who is boasting in his advantages. Uh, and, and as we're going to see in a moment about circumcision, in circumcision, uh, Jewish men had a bodily sign that they belonged to God. And Paul is showing that knowledge and privileges exempt no one from the judgment of God. That we are all under condemnation of the law for our sin. And, and every one of us, regardless of what our knowledge may be, regardless of what our privileges may be, in every century, people object to the idea that they are sinners. Yet Paul keeps presenting the evidence time after time after time. Do we not see that in our world today, in our culture today, that, that homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle? It's not a sin anymore. That abortion is a form of birth control. It's not the murder of unborn children. We try to excuse our sins still today. But, you know, let's, let's put those people aside and look at those that Paul is talking to. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. Do we not still try to excuse our sin? Do we still not try to, to see that... that we have certain privileges because of who we are as believers. You know, that, that God's going to judge the unregenerate much more than he's going to judge me. But listen, folks, I want to tell you, the Bible not only does not teach that, it teaches just the opposite. That my sin is more offensive to God than the lost person's is. You know why? Because I know better. Because I've been redeemed from my sin. Because I have been set free from sin. And so we, we cannot uh, excuse what we, uh, our sin based on what we have and who we are. Because time after time after time, Paul keeps presenting the evidence to us that it is just absolutely not true. Uh, and, and there in verses 17 through 21, if the moral pagans resisted the accusations of Paul in Romans 8, well, 1, 18 through 32, and they did... Paul must anticipate that the religious Jews will do exactly the same thing. Here's the thing. You tell me if this has changed in our world today. 
When you point out sin, we try everything in the world to avoid that. I'm not sinning. You see, I wouldn't have gotten mad and said those things to my wife if she hadn't done this. So it's her fault. Do we not do that? Is that not exactly what Eve and Adam did in the garden? Lord, that woman you gave me. He blamed God. We still do the same thing today. Uh, and, and so Paul here, these religious, these Jews, they would think, you know, we're not godless. We're not lawless like the Gentiles. So we don't deserve the same condemnation. But Paul answers this realization in verses 17 through 21. He says, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. Now, when Paul talks about relying on the law, you see, they thought that, that they were keepers of the law. Now, we know better today, right? That we can't do that. But they felt that they're, because they were religious Jews, because they were sons of Abraham, because they have been circumcised, because they know the law, their relationship with God is hunky-dory. We're going to see here in a minute that you and I still do the same things today. The Jews boast because they suffer from a self-confidence or a self-righteousness. You know, as I was reading this, one thing that came to my mind. I love to read and study theology. I, I love it. And, and, and I love the fact that I get paid to do it. <laughs> But listen, I love to do, I, love, I have a library that, that is large and growing, and I love books. I love to read about theology and all these things. And, and I realize that I can have all this knowledge up here in my head, but it will do me no good if I don't act on it, if I don't let it change my life. I can know the Bible, I can memorize it from Genesis to Revelation. But that will do me absolutely no good if I don't act on it, if I don't obey what it says. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. You know, it was interesting that Jesus told them that they were a slave to their sin. And they said, we're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody <laughs> while they were under the yoke of the Roman Empire. See, they couldn't even see that. And that's what self-confidence and self-righteousness does. They, they think they can fulfill the law. They think they can be justified by keeping the law. They set themselves up as teachers in a very condescending way. Have you ever known a Christian like that? You see, these Jews were the types that they said, look, those poor Gentiles, they don't know any better, but we're going to help them. We're going to teach them. We're going to lift them up. So that they can be on, well, almost where we are. This was the kind of attitude that they had. And Paul is telling them, he's saying, look, you don't understand. You're pointing out all these others, but you don't see what's going on in your own life. To know the law is a privilege. But what they didn't understand, that to violate it in full knowledge and without repentance is to bring about the judgment of God. The Jews love to cling to the law. But even to this very day, they don't understand 
The law says you're guilty. The law says you must die. That's what the law says. And you say to the law, what can I do? How can I keep you? And the law says you can't. You can't do it. And we say to the law, is there anyone that can keep you? And he said, well, there was one. A couple of thousand years ago. And he came close to keeping the law? No, he didn't come close to it. He did it. <laughs> and his name was Jesus. That's where Paul's going here. That's what Paul's trying to teach. But first of all, we must understand who we are and where we are. And so... <clears throat> In, in, a, in, a, in a string of rhetorical questions, Paul assesses the position of the Jew who teaches others but not himself. Paul, his teaching here is calling for self-examination. You ever do that? Let me ask you a question. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I mean, seriously, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? How often do you examine your life? Or do we do like the Jews did who believed that because they had the law, because they were circumcised, their, their, their relationship with God's okay? How many of us think, well, you know, Jesus died for me. God doesn't care what I do now. By the way, if you think that, you're wrong. And the Bible does not teach it. But how often do we examine ourselves? Paul, throughout the Bible, he tells, he says, you know what? He said, you make sure of your calling and your election. Make sure it's there. In, in 1 Corinthians, we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning with the Lord's Supper. Paul says, let a man examine himself. Examine ourselves for what? What are we supposed to examine? To see whether we're in the way. To see whether I'm walking in obedience to God. And this is what Paul is calling these Jews to do. He's saying, look, you think that you're all this because of who you are, your privileges, your, your responsibilities as having the law. And, and he's going to talk more about this to them later on. But, but here's the thing. He's saying to them, look, you need to stop and evaluate where you are and look at your life. You think you're a teacher of these Gentiles when you're not even doing the very things you're trying to teach them to do. You know what you call somebody? <clears throat> Do you know that in Shakespeare's day, he had actors that wore masks? Do you know what the technical term for that kind of an actor is? A hypocrite. That's exactly what it means. A hypocrite. Because you pretend to be something you're not. You, you say one thing and do something else. That's the definition of, hypocrite, of, of hypocrites. And that's what the Jews were doing. And that's what you and I do. Uh, for instance, uh, Paul, when he calls for this self-examination, we can use the example of theft. We know what theft is. Is there anybody here that doesn't know what theft is? No, we all know. And you know what? I have found, I remember when my daughter had our first grandson. <sighs> Almost 20 years ago. Wow. <laughs> and she called me after a few years. You know, he was about four or five years old. And she said, hey, your grandson's learning how to lie. I said, no. He was born knowing how to lie. You have to teach him how to tell the truth. Well, see, I want to tell you something. When, when, when a little child, I remember as a kid, and if anybody here says you have never done this, I'm going to call you a liar now and get it out, okay? If you've never stolen anything as a, as a kid, I remember, I remember when candy was actually a penny. 
actually a penny, and you could just go in there and scoop it up and get a dollar and have a candy to last you all day long, or a couple hours anyway. And we would go in there and we'd stuff it in our pockets. And I remember one time this, this old man that run the store there in Van Austin, he, he caught us. I don't know how old we were, probably six, seven years old. He took his belt off. And right there in the parking lot in front of God and everybody, he wore me out. But you know I never stole anything else, any candy from him again. Can you imagine somebody doing that today? But you see, we know what theft is. Now, may, you may never have stolen a physical object. But how many of us realize that laziness on the job robs from our bosses? How many of us realize that greed and, and, and envy is theft in the heart? And you see, here's the point. When Jesus said, if you hate someone without cause, you are guilty of murder. When you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, what he was trying to show them and what Paul here is elaborating on is this. The physical act is not all there is. And we sometimes forget that. And they had forgotten that. We may not physically steal anything. We may not physically commit adultery. But if these things are done in our hearts, you know, uh, today, I, I, I think about how of all the things that Satan has sought to pervert in God's world, you realize that he has done it with nothing more than he has with sex. With pornography, with lust in the heart, uh, with, with, with innocent flirtation. By the way, there's no such thing as innocent flirtation. But you see, all these things, we have to look at our lives. And Paul says, look, you think that you're walking with God. You think you're on track with God just simply because you know the law, because you have all this information. And you're, you're teaching these others, but you don't understand, Paul. Uh, Paul says, you don't understand that you are doing the very same things. Do we not find the same way? So evidently, we are to never point out someone's sin, right? No, that is not right. And please don't ever think that we are not called to judge because the Bible says we are to judge. But Paul, the Bible says we are to judge with a righteous judgment. But Paul says that these Jews dishonored God by the breaking of the law. The very law they, they, they swore to uphold. The very law that they hypocritically portrayed to other people that they held. Paul, Paul says you break it every day and you're dishonoring the name of God by it. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I as believers, we can do the same thing today. <clears throat> In verses 12 to 23, we see that whereas the Gentiles cannot excuse themselves by claiming, I didn't know the law, the Jews cannot exonerate themselves by saying, I do know the law. So the, the, the fascinating thing that I find here, especially in Romans 1, 2, and 3, is this, is Paul is covering every single angle. He is covering every single base. That is, he says, I am going to present to you the gospel, but before I can, I have to make sure you know who you are, you know where you are, and you know what you are and what you've done. And, and every, Paul has anticipated every single argument. 
But Paul, we didn't know. And he says, yes, you did. Paul, we had no power. He said, yes, you did. Well, Paul, we tried. And he said, no, you didn't. Everything, and he gives us all these, these, these uh, answers to our questions. But the question is the same for both. Even though you may know the law, even though you may uh, know that you're a sinner, what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? Are we trying to excuse it? There is, there is no merit. We must understand that there is no merit in mere knowledge. I can read every commentary Calvin ever wrote on the book of Romans. I can read every commentary Martin Lloyd-Jones ever wrote on the book of Romans. But all that knowledge will do me absolutely no good. You know, as, as, as I prepare these, one of the things that I learned as a preacher a long time ago is that God preaches it to me, and then I have to preach it to you. But in preaching it to me, he says, look, I'm not just telling you what to say. I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you what to be. In other words, he preaches it to me. I have to obey what he tells me. I have to let my life be changed by it. I have to look at my life and say, Lord, I'm a preacher. I've been preaching for years. And you think you can tell me how what I need to live? Am I not living right for you, Lord? Do you know how long I've been doing this? This is what the Jews were saying to Paul. The very same thing that we say today. And we say, Lord, do you know how long I've been a member of this church? Do you know how many Sunday school classes I've taught? Do you know how many children I have led to the Lord? You, let me rephrase that. You know how many, how many children I've led to the Lord? This is what we do. And, and Paul is saying, look... There's no merit in just merely having knowledge. We have to obey what we hear. And all believers, but especially God's pastors and other leaders, we have the ability to bring honor or dishonor upon the name of God. I pray every single time I stand behind this pulpit, Lord, let me speak truth. When our practices contradict what we preach, we bring dishonor to God. Everyone falters. Everyone is inconsistent. But blatant, continual sin brings the charge of hypocrisy. I can stand up here and I can preach to you and say, you need to be faithful in what God's called you to do. You need to be faithful in everything that he's called you to do. And then you can see me out and you can see me not being faithful. And I have completely destroyed what I preached to you. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're looking for me to always do what's right, you need to keep looking. <laughs> if you think that I never do wrong, I don't care what this woman says, I do. I do wrong. <laughs> I sin. We all... And, and, and Paul, what he's saying is, he says, look, for me to stand up here and say, I always obey what's right. I always do what's right. You don't. And I need to teach you how. Paul says, you're being a hypocrite because I am. And so we, and this, this self-confidence, this self-righteousness, do you know what self-righteousness does? 
It keeps me away from Christ. Because it says, I can do this. I can obey the law of God. I can please God. I can appease God. I can do. I can do. It's an interesting thing that when you read about uh, what, what Satan, when he, in, in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is, where he stands and he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. All these things, he says, I will. And this is what the Jews were saying. That, that, that they, and Paul says, you know what? You're being hypocrites. Look at verse 25. He says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is one, mere, one who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but is from God. In Paul's day, uh, many Jews boasted in circumcision. They saw it as a, as a passport to salvation. There was a, a, a king named Antiochus who one time ruled over the southern kingdom. And one of the things that he did was he wanted to erase all, uh, all evidence of the Jewishness of the Jewish people in relation to Jehovah God. And so one of the things, he outlawed the, 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 the people performing the acts of circumcision on their young men. And so during that time, Jewish people, Jewish parents would literally risk their lives to, to get their children, their, their sons circumcised. So as a result of that, when they came out on the other side of this, what happened was circumcision became their sign of their acceptance by God. That as long as you're circumcised, you're fine. It's all good. And so this was the attitude. It's helpful for us to know here. That was the attitude of these Jewish people. That if they, if, if they were circumcised, and that was a, an automatic passport to salvation with God. And Paul reminds them that circumcision is the sign of the covenant, not the essence of it. And so they, they need, he points out that circumcision without faith-driven obedience is no better than uncircumcision. They, they, they were saying, we're circumcised. And Paul said, so? Good for you. And they said, well, that means we're saved. And he said, no, it doesn't. He says, when you're circumcised and you obey the law, that means you're saved. He says, and you have these Gentiles over here who are obeying the law. And you know, when I say obeying the law, I'm talking about their striving to have a relationship with God. They're not literally keeping the law. But their hearts are, are right. Okay, you understand what it means. And, and Paul says, you know what? And they're not circumcised, but they're accepted by God, whereas you are not. Because you cannot. And, and the Jews who long considered themselves to be judges of the Gentiles, uh, Paul says they will one day themselves be judged by the Gentiles who keep the law better than they do. In verse 28 and 29, uh, Jewishness is not visible or physical. We, we are prone to fix on outward appearances. 
It's a dangerous thing to look up here, say, look how nice our pastor dresses. Don't think I'm dressed nice, right? You say, listen to how he expounds the word of God. He must be a godly man. And I want to tell you something that just ain't true. It's just not true. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, you know, it must be great to be a pastor because God protects you from all the, the temptations and troubles that the rest of us have to go through. Yeah, Roger, that ain't true, is it? <laughs> Paul says, I don't care who you are. I don't care what position you have in the church. I don't care what you've done. He said, but where is your heart? Where is your heart? He points out that circumcision without obedience is no better than uncircumcision. And he adds that if an uncircumcised man keeps God's precepts, God will consider him circumcised. The Jews, they, they, were, they were fixed on the outward appearances, but authentic faith always begins internally and invisibly. The Spirit of God renews your heart. Someone once said, at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what we need. We need new hearts. God promised in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I will give them a heart of flesh and remove their heart of stone. And this is where Paul is leading right here. The spirit renews the heart. And I want to tell you, if the heart is not changed, the life won't be changed. And this brings me to a very important uh, aspect of Christianity that, that, that I think is very much misconstrued today. The evidence that you have been saved is not that you will speak in tongues. It's not that you will perform miracles. The evidence that you have truly been saved is, are you ready for this? Your life will change. And that's it. You will be from, go from death to life in an instant. Do you think there's a difference between someone who's dead and someone who's alive? There's a little bit of difference in there. Paul said, uh, John tells us that we will go from darkness into light. Our lives will change when, uh, when the Spirit renews our hearts. There's no legal code. There's no program of self-improvement that can regenerate the heart. I remember several years ago at a church I pastored, I invited this man who was um, with the Gideons to come and preach for us one Sunday morning. And he gave his testimony while he was there, and I've never forgot this. He said, when I was a young teenager, I became addicted to drugs. He said, I started out with marijuana. He said, I graduated to cocaine and heroin. He said, there's no drug I haven't done. And he said, for years, from the time he was about 14 years old, he said, I struggled with drugs. He said, I was an addict. I was just constantly high. He said, I would steal from my parents. I would do anything to get money to buy drugs with. And he said, my parents put me in rehab after rehab after rehab after rehab. He said, I would go in I would do my time I would come out clean and he said I would stay that way for a day or two or a week or two or a month or two but eventually he said I always went back to the drugs 
He said, there came a point in my life where I just had enough. I could not stand it anymore. He said, I, I, I knew what I was doing to my body. He said, I knew what I was doing to those who loved me. He said, but I could find no way to stop. He said, so one day I just decided there's only one way to end this endless cycle. He said, so I rented a hotel room. I sat there on the edge of the bed with a loaded gun to my head. And he said, I saw out of the corner of my eye in that hotel room a Bible. And he said, I laid the gun down and I picked it up and I began to read. And I read... And I read, and he said, the Spirit of God to began to convict me in my heart. And he said, at one point, he said, I just collapsed on my knees and cried out to God in repentance. And he saved me. And he delivered me. He said, I've never touched drugs again. And he said, here's the fascinating thing. He said, what thousands of dollars in rehab, what thousands or hundreds of hours in rehab could not do, a $5 Gideon Bible did. The Word of God spoke to my heart, and he said it delivered me. And, and, and so we need to understand that our hearts need to be changed. There's no legal code. There's no rehab that can deliver us from sin. There's only one thing that can deliver us from sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing. And if the Jews overestimated their, their circumcision, Christians today, we need to realize that we cannot put too much stock in our baptism. Now, I, don't get me wrong. Baptism is important. Okay. But I can't tell you how many times I have spoken to someone and said, well, tell me about when you got saved. And the first thing they say, well, I was baptized. And I say, I don't care when you were baptized. I want to know when you're saved. I want to know about that. Baptism is important, but being baptized does not guarantee salvation. We must not rely on rituals. We must not rely on vows. We must not rely on knowledge. Paul knew that these supposed law-keeping Jews had cast out and crucified and cursed the Lord Jesus Christ. These very Jews who were saying, look how pious we are. Look how good we are. Look how obedient we are. These verses aim to move people from a hypocritical religion to an obedience and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that re re repentance is not remorse. Judas and Peter. You realize that what Judas did was no worse than what Peter did. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Both were sin. And Judas was remorseful over what he'd done, and he went out and killed himself. Peter was repentant over what he had done, and Jesus restored him. That's the difference. That <clears throat> repentance is more than just being sorry for what's happened. It, 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 it means coming to a place where I say, Lord, here I am. I can't do anything. Lord, I cannot break this cycle of sin in my life. And the Lord calls us to a full restoration that grows out of true repentance. And in Romans, Paul wants to move the law lovers to repent 
and to become Jews inwardly in their heart by the Spirit. A Christian, let me update what Paul said. That might not have been the right way to put that, but you know what I mean. He is not, one, he is not a Christian who is one outwardly and carries a Bible and goes to church and teaches Sunday school or preaches. He is a Christian who is one inwardly, whose life of obedience shows that he belongs to Christ. That's what he's saying. So let us examine ourselves to see how we drift from Christ toward devotion to rules and, and knowledge in our life. We, we tend to evade or deny our sin. This has been the pattern ever since the garden. When God said to Adam, where are you? And to Eve, what have you done? As we talked about last week, God knew where they were. He knew what they'd done. But he wanted to see, did Eve and Adam know where they were and what they've done? Do you know where you are? Do you know what you've done this morning? We, we, we need to stop. You see, the Jews, they were trying to evade the situation here and say, Paul, that's great. Just tell those godless Gentiles that they need to do this. And we'll be here if you need us. Holler at us if you need us and we'll help. And Paul says, no. He says, you're just as bad as they are. You're even worse because you know the truth. Let us cast aside our self-reliance and our self-righteousness and believe the gospel and live in repentance relying on Jesus Christ every hour of every day. You know, in just a few minutes, <clears throat> we're going to gather here at the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you, you may not be a member of our church, but if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a member of His church, you're welcome to join us at the table. But you know the Apostle Paul, he says, let a man examine himself. We talked this morning in Sunday school about what a dangerous thing it is to, to, to partake of this right here and have hidden known sin in your life. To be playing the hypocritical Christian to say, Lord, to, to have other people say, what a, what a wonderful person he is. How they love the Lord while inwardly there's sin that runs rampant in their life. While secretly behind closed doors there's somebody else. You know, my wife can tell you and I hope she would tell you. That the person you see when I'm here is the same person I am at home. I try to be. And we all have to be that way. You see, we have nothing to hide. Did you know that? We have nothing to hide. Now, you may hide it from me. Well, good for you. I can hide it from you, too. But we can't hide it from him. And he says, I see and the only thing we can do is go to Him and say, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. I repent, I turn from my sin, change my heart that I might live in a life of obedience to You. And walk, Father, in a manner that is worthy of being called Your child. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here this morning, come to Your table. 
Father, may each one of us examine our hearts. Father, may we call on you to search us, to know us, see if there be any wicked way in us. And Father, may we take this opportunity to repent of our sin, that we would determine from this moment on that we will walk in obedience to your word. We thank you, Father, for the spirit who enables us and empowers us to do this. Father, may we not be hypocritical in our lives. May we never believe that just because we call ourselves by some denominational name or because we've been baptized or because we uh, have a particular version of the Bible that that makes us any more special. We're all sinners. We all need the precious blood of Christ to cover our sin. So, Father, may we this morning... As we come to this table, remember the price that our Lord Jesus paid that we might be saved. That his body was taken, beaten, crucified. That his precious blood was poured out for on our behalf. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Jesus, for his obedience to you, for his perfect sacrifice. For his interceding on our behalf today, we thank you in his name. Amen.